We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Ryan, it's mailbag time. Let's let's dive right into it. Randy, I want to get to this this super chat that Randy Hernandez gave because he made a very bold prediction. We will have a bold prediction show at the end of camp, but Randy is kicking things off with a bold prediction. And Randy, thank you as always for your super chat, buddy. We really appreciate it. But Randy's Randy's comment, Ryan, and I want to get your take on it, is I think the best defensive lineman will be Riley Mills. If he stays healthy, he will lead the team in sacks. What say you, Ryan Roberts? And I think there's two different things to that. Sure. One part I definitely don't agree with. The other part I could actually see, depending on how the season plays out. But let let you respond to it, Ryan. Well, I so Randy, it's a little bit of what I talked about earlier, right? It's you know who Isaiah Foskey is. You know who Jason Amalola is. That's where like your attention, if you're opposing offense – is going to be early on. So I can subscribe to the second part where I think that if you are double teaming Isaiah Foskey consistently across the majority of the season, if you have Jason Adam Malola is a guy that has your attention, I think let Riley Mills could fight for that sack title on the team. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he can get to that point. I would push back to Brian's point. I think he was kind of setting this up. I, I mean, Isaiah Foskey is a potential first round pick next year, right? Like, I mean, the kid is, 6'5", 260 with vines for arms and a potential stud even on the next level. And we already know what he is, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. last year, he's still kind of raw as a player. And he still had 11 sacks or 10 sacks or whatever he had, right? Like, he is a potentially dominant football player. So, I would push back to the best defensive lineman on the team, maybe in a couple of years. But in this season, I would say it's Isaiah Foskey. But I do subscribe to the fact that Riley Mills may have a lot of one-on-one opportunities, so maybe he does lead the team in sacks. I don't think that's outlandish. Agree. I think you're seeing leading the team in sacks. I don't think that makes him his best player. I'll say this. If Randy, if we are talking about this in the season in a real manner, this will be yes. the second best defensive line in college football this year behind Clemson. Because if 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 Riley – well, that or it's going to be a really disappointing season. Because there's two ways that could happen. One is Riley really raises his level of play, and he's a dominant player. Two is Isaiah doesn't play well, and <laughs> Riley outplays him. I don't think that's going to be the case. 
So if if we're having this conversation and and, and it's not injury related, then that's going to be a great sign for Notre Dame because we're not even talking about Jason Adamiol here. I mean, I think Riley's battle right now is: Are you the third best defensive lineman on the defensive line? All right, not number, or are you even second? Not number one. If we're having a conversation about him being number one, Randy, to your point, that's going to be a great sign for Notre Dame, most likely. But I, I do, I, I do want to pump the brakes a little bit on this though, because I think Riley has a chance to really break out this year, but he does need to show it. That that's going to be the thing for me is he needs to show that he can consistently be that guy. And that's the part right, right now, Ryan, that he has not, not quite proven yet, but I'm, I'm confident that he's going to be a really good player for Notre or, or, or a good player for Notre Dame this year. What I don't know is that can he be a really good player for Notre Dame this year? Like he's going to, at the very least, he's going to provide you similar run defense that Myron brought last year, just by size alone. Mm-hmm. and potentially could bring even more pass rushing prowess to the table. Like yep. to me, he combines a little bit just on raw ability. And this is just hear me out here. Cause I'm just talking about potential, not what I'm predicting. He has a lot of Khalid Kareem in his game as a run defender, potential wise as a big end, big size, Riley's about 20 pounds bigger but he's not as long as Khalid was. So th- those things, you know, he's long, but not as long. Khalid had insane length. I mean, he, I think, was the longest defensive lineman in his almost. draft class, first or second. He was might have been – there was almost, one guy that had like 35. He was Yeah, he almost, had, he almost had like 36-inch arms. Like it was insane. It was, it was nuts. Yeah, yeah. But Khalid was a great run defender in my opinion, and he was a clutch pass rusher, but he wasn't a consistent pass rushing force. He only had four and a half sacks last year. But you could probably remember all four and a half of them because they all came in big moments. That's what I loved about Khalid. But he, but he remind, but so I thought Adi Takuba Ogundiji was a good run defender, but not a great run defender his last year. But he was a good pass rusher. He's a really impactful pass rusher in twenty in twenty twenty. And so I thought he brought. I think he didn't he lead the team in sacks in two thousand and twenty with like Pretty seven. Sure. I thought yeah. he did. I thought he had like eight. I could be wrong. I, I, I'm pretty sure he led the team in sacks. I'm, I'm actually going to go look this up real quick. He did. He had. He was credited with seven. Mm-hmm. But and then Isaiah Foskey was second with four and a half. And and so, you know, you, I could see Riley being similar to that, and maybe uh, maybe eight. You know, I, I'd I'd be a little surprised if Riley got to like ten. That would be quite a leap. Like oh, even yeah. if you're because. When I say, well, he'll get some sacks because of Isaiah, I'm counting that towards me thinking he could get to seven or eight. Like, that's counting, like, Isaiah just crushing the edge and then the guy scrambles and runs into Riley. Like, I'm already counting that into the seven or eight that I expect him to get next year. Now, if he's beyond that, that means he had a heck of a year as a pass rusher. And and so I could I could see it, but he's got a long way to go to get there from what we've seen of him and what and what that would be. He's got a lot to prove. I just am optimistic we're going to at least see flashes of that. I think that's more likely, Ryan, is there might be a game or two where like, wow, Riley was your best defensive lineman today. Mm-hmm. But but to, to see it the whole year, that's asking a lot of a guy that's really just cracking the, the starting lineup for the first time, in my opinion. And also playing a position full-time for the first time as well. Right. Like, I mean, I know he played a little big end last year, but for the most part, he was an interior defense lineman. I'll say this. He may be your most impactful defensive lineman this year from an inside-outside perspective. Yeah. Like he's going to be able to line up all over the place, which is going to be huge for this defense, I think. Right. Like there's I think there's going to be a lot of 
And again, this is just my speculation, but I think there's going to be a lot of third downs where you're just like Riley Mills, go inside and three tech dude, and just destroy this, this offensive guard one-on-one because you're going to slide your protection still to Isaiah Foskey because he's the dude, right? Like I think that from a inside outside perspective, he's your most well-rounded moving chess piece. It gets the pass. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm actually really looking forward to potential some potential alignments this year on third down or Nichols where you've got him and Jason both inside. Like <laughs> because in that because in that you can still use one of them as almost an end if you go to a three man front and want to drop your fourth defensive lineman into coverage, whether well, it be Justin that- Adamiola or Isaiah. You know. Yeah. You saw you saw that last year. I posted the clip on you on Twitter of when Jason slanted outside against the right tackle against yeah. USC yeah. and just long armed him into the quarterback. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, 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 he can do that stuff too, man. Right. He's a Jason's another kid that he can line up all over the place right. and be incredibly impactful. And that's why I like the potential for having him and Riley inside together in some nickels with Isaiah and Justin Adamiel on the outside. That is where you could really have a dynamic group of pass rushers this year. And and you can drop two of both of the edges can drop, Justin mm-hmm. and Isaiah. You can put either Jason or Riley on the edge if you because like you could do things where you could put Riley on the edge and put Jason or or Isaiah or Justin inside on a third nine and let them rush on the guard. I mean, t- you'll do that. You'll see that from time to time. Sure. And it's not oh, he's playing defensive tackle. No, he's not. He's just getting an ISO pass rush because of the protection. It's it's they know the protection. It's going to be a man you know, man blocking protection, and they're just going to get the ISO pass rush there against the guard. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what Notre Dame did to Clemson. They they. You know, and that that because it wasn't the first sack that they had. I think was Dalen had the first sack, and it wasn't, it was it wasn't like a second and twenty. It was a, a second and I think nine or ten, and mm. they, but they knew that they knew that Clemson was in a passing down because they'd been thrown the whole game, and they knew that Clemson's scheme was going to allow was going to keep their guards and ISOs. They weren't going to be getting help. They're going to be in ISOs, so they put they moved Dalen inside. And put him over the guard, knowing he was going to get a one-on-one pass rush. So it wasn't mm-hmm. that he was playing three technique because he was standing up, but that's how they got that pass rush. So um, you're going to see some stuff like that in, in obvious passing downs. Can, can you imagine too if they had some some alignments at, on passing downs where they had Isaiah Foskey, Riley Mills, and Alexander Ahrensberger in there? All that yeah. length there, man, is just absurd to think about. It's a lot of fun yep. to think about. Yep. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Got a super chat from Tony Shea. Tony says, watch some Kenny Minchie film this weekend. Looks like a, a lot like Dante Moore to me. How would you compare their games? I, that's interesting. I think that's fair. I, I think that Kenny has a longer release. Dante has a much faster release. Much faster. Dante has the quickest release in the class, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. at least when he wants to. I think Dante is a more accurate quarterback. But I think their games are very similar. Kenny's more athletic. Kenny has a better frame, like, si- like girth-wise, like size-wise. Dante seems a little taller, although that could be a little misleading. Uh but you know we'll 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 see how that pans out because Dante's about six one and a half to me, but his hair makes him look a little bit taller. I'm not saying that insulting like, but you know, when a guy has hair, you kind of you know how tall is he really can be a little bit misleading. Sure, uh, but they're, they're how they play the game is very similar, right? Like playing off script, really good timing and anticipation as passers. They're more they're they're IQ passers. There's two areas, and this is – look, Dante's my number one quarterback in the class. Everybody knows that. That hasn't changed. Uh, he has the highest floor of any quarterback in this class. But I'll say there's two areas where I believe Kenny Minchie definitely has an advantage over Dante Moore. One, athleticism mm-hmm. and using it as a runner. Kenny is not a runner, but he is more willing to use his athleticism to make plays than Dante is. Dante wants to sit in the pocket. It's fair. That's okay. I'm fine with that because that's what Notre Dame wants, and that's what Tyrese ultimately needs. Kenny Minchie is a pocket quarterback that is more willing to use his legs to make plays mm-hmm. as, as a chain mover. The second one is he's got a stronger arm than Dante. Does. He does. He does. Right, just for, from a pure power standpoint, he can pu- pushes it down the field a little bit more than Dante. Definitely more. Well, actually, a lot right. more. Definitely <laughs> lot more. But that's to me scheme related more than anything sure. but but as far but there's just more volume of it which is why his completion percentage is lower than Dante's mm-hmm. is yeah is because he throws a lot of deep balls and and so those are two areas where I think Kenny actually grades higher the overall way they go about playing the game is very similar I would say Ryan and I think that's where I say comparisons to Dante from a style standpoint are very fair yeah very very yeah. fair yeah no I I would say that I mean, Dante, I'm still incredibly high on Dante Moore, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, stylistically, I think there's a lot of validity to the comparison. I also think that, like you said, very intellectual quarterbacks. I mean, we heard some feedback from the Elite 11 where Kenny Minchie blew some people away as far as his mm-hmm. intelligence on the board and just understanding and diagnosing coverages, right? So I do think there's a lot of comparisons from a play style perspective. There's no doubt. I mean, there's going to be things that Dante obviously does better. There's going to be a couple things, to your point, that Kenny Minchie probably does a little bit better. But I think that Dante Moore is probably the best quarterback in the class. But I think Kenny Minchie is probably the most underrated quarterback in the class, in my opinion. Like, oh yeah, I mean, there's there's some people that have him as like the 300 something player. I'm just right. like, I don't, I don't get that, man. Right. I do not get that at all. I think ESPN is the only one that has him. He's like one something in ESPN. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna pull up his ranking now because he did jump up in a couple rankings. Uh, on three, put him up to 276 in their own personal rankings. Mm-hmm. But he's 394 
on the on their con- composite or consensus. He's three seventeen on the two four seven sports composite. Those are both low. That's way too low. I think ESPN has him at one seventy nine. I think that's very fair. Mm-hmm. It's a very fair ranking based on one year as a full time starter, sure. right? The competition he plays against and his size. You know, I think I think that's I I, w- I might have him a little bit higher, just like I'd have Austin Novaset higher than some of those people have him. I think both of them need to be higher. But I'm not putting Kenny in the top hundred yet. I think he can jump in there with a big senior year if he if he builds on what he did last year. He could jump in there because he's got a really good arm, but he's not quite there yet, right? But he's definitely not a three star like Rivals has him. Rivals has him as the number twenty nine player in the state of Indiana, of state of Tennessee, which is just crazy. It's not as bad. As, well, it's kind of if you think about the state of Tennessee per capita, that's about as bad as having Micah Bell as the number 67 player in the state of Texas, actually, if you really think that's, about it. That's very fair. I'll say this, Brian. I know I know I'm not a big Narduzzi guy. I know you're not a big Narduzzi guy, but I will say if Pitt is able to hold on to Kenny Minchie, that is a steal pick of up. a quarterback pick big up time steal. Big oh, he's yeah. a good and, and it's gonna be he is not just a guy that's automatically gonna flip because Notre Dame got involved. I'm just telling right. you that right now. Am I saying right. he won't flip? I'm not saying that, but it they're not just gonna offer him him like okay, done deal right? They're going to have to battle for that one a little bit. Now, 100%. the good news is, is Kenny likes Notre Dame. He's visited Notre Dame before. He camped at Notre Dame last year. So there's a relationship there already. They've been talking to him for a while, really since they started moving on. Him and Austin Novosad and Brock Glenn were three guys that they immediately moved on to. They moved. They quickly moved off of Brock Glenn. There just wasn't an interest there on either side, really. He's a little too raw for what Notre Dame was looking for. Uh, mm-hmm. As we've talked about, he's a little bit too much of a gunslinger. They wanted a guy that had a little bit more polish. Uh, tools are there for Brock Glenn, but they quickly moved on to Novaset and Minchie as the two guys that they were going to key on. Shout out to you, though. I remember when we talked about Brock Glenn, you were like, it would be perfect at Ohio State. Yeah. Let me develop yeah. between two really talented quarterbacks. Right. and yeah, Because yep. the ceiling is good enough to where he can compete with those guys. It's just he's going to need time. And I was worried about him going to somewhere like Florida State or Auburn where they're going to throw him onto the field like right away, and then that's going to hurt his development. Because if right. he if he taps in his potential at Ohio State, he could he could beat out you know maybe you know Devin Brown or or Dylan Rayola, right? He could beat them out. He's got enough talent. The problem is his floor is really low. He's really raw. And if he doesn't pan out, can't beat those guys out, then he got good coaching at quarterback for two years, and he can transfer right. somewhere else and be ready to play where he'll get that time to develop his game that he wouldn't have got at a Florida State or an Auburn. So I actually it, – it may seem like kind of silly to, for me to say, I think he made the right choice jumping into that quarterback depth chart, but I, I actually think it made a lot of sense for him. Uh, and it made a lot of sense for Ohio State too because of his ceiling – but not having the floor where, like, look, that kid didn't go to Ohio State living in a fantasy world of I'm going to beat out Kyle McCord as a freshman. Sure. Like, I don't sure. think he's that stupid. And if he is that stupid, you don't want him anyway because he's not a smart enough kid to be a quarterback for you. He knows he's going to have to battle. He's going to need time. And I think that's going to be good for him because I think he needs it. He's super raw, super yeah. raw as a player. One of the better arms that I've seen in the yes. 2023. Very live he, arm. He has a lot. I mean, that was the first thing I texted you. Is I was like, yeah. this kid's got like a Jake Cutler yes. arm, man. Like, I think like, it's live, yeah. you know? Really like, live arm. And he's the better athlete of the three that Notre Dame was looking at, too. That's true. He's just His floor is way too low for me in this class. Like, uh, compared fair. to – like, if those two guys were on the board, 
And they're like, no, nah, we're staying in Baylor and Pitt. We're not looking. And, Min, and and Glenn was like, I'm really interested. Would I have looked at him? Yes, I would have looked at him. He's very talented. I would have taken him because he's very talented. I'm just saying with Novosad and Minchie on the board, it made more sense to go for them because they do have high ceilings, not as high as his, but their floors are much higher. And, and you know, Notre Dame could have afforded to take a kid that had a, a low floor here because of Carr coming up and, and Jelly, but it's not ideal in sure. my opinion to take a low floor guy. So I thought it worked out well for him. And of course it worked out well for Ohio state. Cause they got a quarterback that doesn't need to come in and play right away. But so you have some time to work with him, and he's, he's a guy with a, with a pretty high ceiling. So um, it'll be, it'll be interesting. How that one plays out. So thank you for the, uh, the super chat, Tony, very, very good discussion. Connor Patton with a super chat. If Notre Dame is taking a second shot at recruits who committed to other programs uh, or is Notre Dame taking a second shot at recruits who committed other programs but are still taking visits? Yes, they are. Like I'm told that they're still recruiting Jason Moore. Uh, obviously, he's committed to Ohio State. I'm not. I'm not saying that to start any rumors of oh, Jason Moore's looking at Notre Dame. He seems solid in his commitment to Ohio State. For all we know, it's just that Notre Dame hasn't stopped recruiting him. Just like Ohio State hasn't stopped recruiting Keon Keeley. I don't think he's going to Ohio State. It doesn't mean they're going to stop recruiting him. Right now, that's kind of where it is. Could things change? Sure. I mean, anything can change in recruiting, but. There's plenty of kids that they're still – I mean, Kenny Minchie is committed to Pitt. Austin Novosad's remained committed to Baylor. He never decommitted from Baylor. So there's plenty of kids, and, and there's some other guys that we're not going to name right now, uh, but Dylan Edwards was committed to Kansas State when they went after him. There's other kids that they're on that 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 would like to be kept not known right now just because those kids don't want the drama, and those kids haven't decided if they're actually going to pursue any interest from Notre Dame. But it's not an extensive list because, to be honest with you, Notre Dame's almost done in 2023. Yeah. I mean, look, if they get Edwards and Hannafin, they're done at receiver. They're already done at tight end. You know, Jeremiah Love is it for running back. If they get him, great. If they don't, they're not going to go to somebody else. I mean, not great. Like, they really want Jeremiah Love. But it's not like there's another guy that right now they're looking at. It's Jaden Osbury and Samuel Pemba for front seven. And, you know, there's a couple guys that they've recently offered that are committed to, you know, once committed to another school, Caleb Herring. So, I mean, they're on him. That's public. They Blake Purchase, Ben Minich is safety. And that's kind of it for the second. I mean, there's not there's not a lot of needs left right now beyond what's already kind of on board or they're trying to push for now. I think what you would see happen is if they didn't get Dylan Edwards and Ronan Hannafin, they would then have to expand the receiver board or decide we're just going to go the grad train or we're going to go the transfer route which I don't know is ideal because you don't know who that's going to be in six months. You know, if, if, if linebacker, if they get Jane Osbury, they're done there. If they get Ben Minich soon, they're done there. They don't need another defensive lineman. The guys that they recently offered are more of a let's get to know you type of offers as opposed yes. to let's go flip them and add them right now. Uh, they're not, we're worried about losing Keon Keeley. So let's go. It's not, has it has to do with losing Jason Moore. And then wanting to have some guys on the board in case you go to a fifth D lineman, D lineman, which will kind of partly be decided in fall camp and early in the season. If some guys don't progress, then there may be a need to go somewhere else. But if guys progress, it's like, you know what? We're good. Let's use that for next year. It's smart recruiting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other positions, like there really isn't a need to expand the board a whole lot right now beyond what they just recently did with Caleb Herring and Blake Purchase and Dylan Edwards and guys like that. Ben Minich beyond that. They have expanded the board already. There's not another need beyond that until you figure out what's going on with Nova Sad and Kenny Minchie and then the other guys we talked about. 100%. Alan Watson and Connor, thank you for the super chat. Alan Watson with another super chat. Thank you, Alan. He says you could flip one commit 
whom would it be? Oh, I don't like talking about that, Brian. I don't like talking about it. If I could flip one player in the country that is committed mm-hmm. to another school, who would it be? Dante Moore, I guess. I don't know. I mean, like, like look, I, I, I want this just to be out there for a second, right? Just because Dante Moore is not going to Notre Dame does not mean that I don't really like Dante Moore still. My I, opinion I, of him I, as a player has not changed. Has not changed at all, right? There's other layers to wanting him in the class that maybe don't make sense, right? Which is kind of why I hesitated with saying it, but I'd be lying if I didn't want Dante Moore still in the class. Right. Like, I mean, it would be an absolute lie. So if, John, if Dante Moore called up tomorrow and said, you know what, guys, I screwed up. I don't care what so-and-so said. I'm not going to get into that publicly. Y'all that are on the board, you know who I'm talking about. I don't care what these people around me are saying. That's where my heart is. That's where my boys are. I want to come to Notre Dame. I'd say, yeah, Uh uh-huh, okay, (laughs) let's do it. I I just would. I'm not going to lie to you. He'd be my one answer. But him aside, the the next one for me would be Jason Moore. Yes, yes. That'd be my other one. Like, I would – I look, again, my opinion of Jason Moore hasn't changed because he committed to Ohio State, folks. Right? Like, he's a stud. Like somebody, somebody's like, hey, you know what? I actually like Blake Purchase more than Jason Moore. And I was like, that's no offense to Blake Purchase. Jason Moore's a dude. He is a top 50 player now, and he's raw, right? Yeah. Imagine what he's going to do with good coaching. And that's why I wanted to see him without Washington because I'm like, man, like I get such, I get such Zach Allen vibes, but more explosive. And remember what Zach Allen did with, with Al Washington at Boston College. Uh, that would be my one. And I, and I know Caleb Downs and, but I, I just never, I guess I, I didn't never view that as realistic. And when I think of this question, I think of realistic, not just like fantasy world of, okay. Uh, Anthony Hill. And... Arch Manning, you know what <laughs> yes, I mean? Like whatever, sure. whatever you you know what I mean? It, I want to be realistic with it. John Tay Cook or what? I mean, it's be realistic, right? Like of guys that they were actually in on, it'd be Dante on offense and Jason Moore on defense. And just because yeah. I just think of a, a, a defensive line with Keon Keeley and Jason Moore and Bubakar and Brennan Vernon and Devin Houston and Tyson Ford and Aiden Gobira and Donovan Heinish and Josh Burnham with Brandon Davis Swain and, you know, coming down the pike, like goodness gracious. Like what? I guess if it's anybody, I'll, you know, I'd flip the, uh, the branch kid from, uh, going to USC, yeah. I guess. Right. I mean, he's, but like he's the, a baller, yeah. but sure. Yeah. 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 Trying to keep it like guys that I thought were like realistic targets for Notre Dame. 100%. So let's 100%. get to some more questions here. Negative kid asks Brian and Ryan, where's Kenny Minchie ultimately going to sign and why is it Notre Dame? I mean, you kind of a loaded question there. I, on all honesty, can, does Notre Dame have a shot to flip him? I think so, but it's sure. super early for that like super early for that as of what we know right now and Kenny Minchie is not Kenny Minchie's not going to be an easy kid to convince to go back on his commitment he's not it's not going to be easy and it has nothing to do with Notre Dame it has more to do with just that's from what I've been told that's just the kind of kid Kenny Minchie is but I will say this he's definitely I I can say with good confidence he's definitely open Mm -hmm. to talking to Notre Dame yeah that's what I will say well, and he's he's a kid, Brian, that's been a little bit underrated for a while. Because, like you said, I mean, he was a one he's a one year starter for his school, right? So, like, mm-hmm. he literally did just kind of burst onto the scene, I guess. But then, you know, he does what he does at the Elite Eleven. Now he's really starting to gain some steam from a rankings perspective, and some other offers are, are you know going to start coming in as as we as it always does. But he, I mean, I think that just interviews I've heard with Kenny, and I haven't had the opportunity to talk to him directly, but I think that. 
I mean, there's something to be said about a team that's been on you from the beginning, right? Like, I mean, there is something to be said about that. Notre Dame has ground to make up here if they're going to make a serious run out of Kenny Minchie. So is it possible? Sure. I wouldn't put anything past this recruiting staff that, that Notre Dame has right now that they can make something happen. But ultimately, I do think that Kenny Minchie does value tremendously the fact that Pittsburgh's been there the entire mm-hmm. time, you know, and like I've been their guy. Like I'm not plan B or number three on the board or whatever it is. Like I have been number one for Pittsburgh, which I think is huge for him. Good answer. Indy Max, is any chance that they try to reignite interest in A.B. Johnson or another early offered QB if Minchie doesn't show much interest? Yes, there's definitely a chance. I I know I can say confidently that if, if Minchie doesn't show strong early interest, they know they're going to have to expand the board. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I will be shocked if there's not at least a conversation about with Avery about potential interest at some point. I'd be surprised if that doesn't happen. Will it happen tomorrow? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, he'd have to reach out to them because it's the dead period. He, they have to. I believe in dead period. You have the recruits have to initiate the contact with the coach. The coaches can't contact them. But there's enough people that 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 he knows that Notre Dame knows that they'd be able to kind of they'd be able to work out a conversation happening. So I would imagine that there would be some interest. Trip Bergen asks, why do you guys just get their why do guys get just to get their official scholarship offers today? And what were they before today? So before today, Trip, it's a very good question. So as you if you're on social media, you're seeing all these offers go out, the official scholarship offers. And Notre Dame's is pretty cool. It's like a pop-up thing, and it's got like, I mean, it's just it's you have to look at it. If you're not on social media, just try to find somebody who is and have them send you the, the tweet because you can actually look at a tweet even if you don't have Twitter. It'll just pop up on your web. It's a really cool deal. It's like a pop-up thing. It's got like the golden dome. It's got this huge helmet in the back. It's got the letter from Marcus Freeman with a signature on it. It's a really cool deal. So essentially, you cannot officially extend an offer to a player until August 1st of their senior season. So before, they were simply verbal offers that could be rescinded and given at any point in time. And an official offer can be rescinded at any point in time as well. But this is just more of like it makes it official. And you'll see teams offer, like Bama offers a a decent amount of kids, especially when you consider how strict they are with recruiting. But they don't send out nearly as many official offers as they will. Notre Dame is, is sending out official offers today there will be a lot of kids who were given verbal offers that won't get official offers because you know, they've either stopped recruiting them or they're committed somewhere else or they're you know not guys that they're on. So, you know, you'll see stuff like that kind of happening today. And, and so it's just, it's just an official thing. It's just like a formality type of thing, you know, really uh, more than anything, but they were just verbal offers before. Sean Kane asks, I think the D-line is a strength now, but linebackers is closing fast and by 23 should be a strength of the team. Could be, I would say. I don't know if I would say should be yet because I still think the D-line is going to be pretty good. You know, because you're talking about 2023, you know, assuming Maris comes back, the D-line, the linebacking core is probably going to be the units, unit we're most confident in because of what's coming back. You you, you know, you hope to still have Maris, you have J.D., you know, you'll have Jack will have a fifth year plus all the, the young guys that are still there. Mm-hmm. And then you're bringing in Drake Bowen and Jaden Allsbury. If you're, if you're able to land him this week, you know, Preston Zinter. So you're going to be pretty loaded there. But then D-line, yes, you're going to be less experienced because you're going to lose Foskey and Adamiola, both Adamiolas. 
but you're going to bring back Howard Cross, Jacob Lacey, Riley Mills, Alexander Ahrensberger. You're going to bring Aiden Gobire is going to be a sophomore. Tyson Ford's going to be a second year. Josh Burnham's going to be in his second year. Donovan Hines going to be second year. Now Rubio's going into his junior year now. Same with Onye. Plus you're bringing in Keon Keeley, Bubakar Traore, Brendan Vernon, Devin Houston. The D line is still going to be really good. So yep. experience wise. Maybe, but the D line is still going to be pretty good. I just hope that it's a battle, a conversation that we're having every year moving forward. That's an exciting thing for me, and and where it's trending is where it's it is discussed, it is debatable, in my mm-hmm. opinion. When you look to twenty three and twenty four and twenty five, if Notre Dame gets the guys we think they're going to get to where we're, ha- and then in twenty four you're bringing Brandon Davis, Swain, and you know, and p- more potential guys in that class. It's going to be a fun battle to see which unit is the best and that's where you want to be i mean if you're notre dame that's where you want to be and that's what gets you excited about what this defense can be moving forward yeah i think that you're going to potentially if maris takes a step forward you're going to have the best player returning as a linebacker and you're going to have some insane depth there's no doubt but i mean as a whole that defensive line should still have some dudes on it man and there's only more dudes to your point brian the pipeline is continuing i mean I know everyone's freaking out about Keon Keeley, but I, I still feel good about Keon Keeley stepping foot on campus and impacting the 2023 season for Notre Dame, right? So I agree. I think the defensive line has been set up for a lot of success moving forward over the last couple of years, but I'm hopeful that Maris Loifau, and I hope that this time next year we're arguing who's the best player coming back on Notre Dame's defense, and the answer is Maris Loifau with the type of season he has. Yeah. Cuba Puig says, Brian and Ryan, would you like to see kids be able to sign their letter of intent at any time when they make a verbal, or would you just like the dates moved up? I Let me just say, I'm very, very much against kids being able to sign whenever. And it's not because I don't want them to have the freedom to do so. It will be used as a, a really uh, shady weapon against kids. Hey, sign this now on your visit, or we're not going to, you know, if you leave here today without signing this, this letter of intent, we're pulling your offer. You will see schools do that if that ever happened. You will flat out see that. They will pressure kids into signing, and now it's harder to get out of it. So I am staunchly against the idea of being able to sign whenever. What I do think is dumb is the whole early signing period being after their senior seasons. What they should do is basically today you can get official offers. Mm-hmm. So from August 5th, to August 10th or August 5th, to August 7th or whatever, you can have kids sign early. Just there's same three day window you have for the early signing period in December. You get three days to, if you want to sign now. So if, if, if Drake Bowen's like, look, man, I'm not looking anywhere else. I, I want these schools to stop calling me. I, I want to just sign now. Braylon James. I just want to sign now. Let them sign now. That's the early period. And then after that, you can then move it to February. That can be the later period. Because then in Feb, because the thing I hate about the December signing period, a lot of coaching decisions that are going to happen are not being made in December. Some are, but some coaching decisions are happening afterwards. And, and I'm not talking about just head coaching. I'm talking about coordinators leaving, assistant coaches leaving. So you're having these kids sign in December. And then like two weeks later, their coaches are leaving. And I just think that's dumb. That's like stupid timing. Now, coaches don't want the early signing period because they want to be able to flip kids easier. That's why they don't want the early signing period moved up to August or July because it makes it harder for them to go flip kids later. But the best thing for the kids, in my opinion, and the best thing for the schools 
like Notre Dame is for the early signing period to genuinely be an early signing period. Cause in basketball, it's an early signing period. You're mm-hmm. signing before your senior season. I don't understand why it's not that way in football. I mean, actually I do understand, but I think it's dumb that it's not that way in football. Uh, so yes, I absolutely, you, in this era of let's do right by the players. How is that not a thing that people are pushing for in the media? Can, it's, can, you know why? Cause it wouldn't be, we would have less to talk about. It's true. We'd have can less ima- to write about. Can you imagine if there was a freshman or sophomore in high school that had the opportunity to sign their letter of intent yeah. and they were just stuck there if they, right. cause I mean, what are we talking about? A 15 year old kid making a right. bad decision potentially. I mean, that happens all yeah. the time. Right. So I, I think what you'd yeah. probably do is you'd see him like, at some point in time, beginning on X date of your junior year, you can sure. sign, you know, it'd be something like that. But you're, but even then, Ryan, it's like, it yeah. would be weaponized to force kids into making decisions. And it's not going to be the five stars. Those kids are not going to be bullied into it. Some will, I mean, who don't have, you know, good guidance or whatever, but it, a lot of kids will get bullied into that. And uh, just, it's just not an ideal situation. To your point with the visits too, Brian, because we've seen a lot of kids that, you know, are kind of in their honeymoon honeymoon period right when they're on campus like wow this is the greatest thing ever and then they go back home for a couple days and they're kind of like uh you know it was really great but like let's still look around type of thing like you imagine if someone just kind of gets even just caught in the moment for a second and then makes a a rash decision like i think that that would just happen so often i would i'd be very against that type of situation Mm -hmm. yep JJ Goodway with a super chat. Thank you, JJ. With the potential of all of these offensive weapons in the class, where do you go at quarterback in 23 if they miss on Novasad or Minchie? Do you want to take first crack at that, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I think, JJ, you would see, one, Notre Dame's going to continue to do kind of their due diligence with evaluation of the quarterback position. But we already mentioned one guy that I think makes some sense is to to touch back base with, with uh, Avery Johnson, who is a – close friends of Dylan Edwards, who is, you know, potentially trending toward Notre Dame. We'll see kind of how that one ends, but I think kind of touching base with a couple of guys that, cause this isn't a, as much as, you know, um, well, Venables wants to tell us, you know, there's a sacred thing to commitments, right? And I know we haven't talked sure. about that on here, but. As he tries think, to get other kids committed to other schools to visit a school. Most, most hypocritical thing I've ever heard in my life. But yeah, we'll talk about that at a different time, probably. Uh, you know, talk about that on the board. We were talking about that mm-hmm. a little bit. But I would revisit an Avery Johnson. I would take a look at a Ricky Collins. Like, there are a bunch of ri- – one thing that, Brian, you said before that I completely agree with, this is m- way too good of a quarterback class not to land a quarterback in 2023, right. in my opinion. Like, you need one of these guys, man. This is a crazy deep class. Yeah. That's the key for me. They'll be okay. This is a loaded class. And that doesn't even include guys who may break out as seniors. Like, you know, or there's going to be coaching changes. There's going to be teams that people think are going to be good this year that implode. And it happens every year. Who who went, who thought going into last year that Dan Mullen was going to be fired before the season was over? I don't know of anybody that thought that. The guy was coming off of, like, what, back-to-back SEC title games? Right? So... It, that always happens. I mean, I mean, who thought that the kid from Texas that was committed there was going to end up at Oklahoma because Dan Mullen got fired, right? Like, no, nobody thought that. Stuff like that happens every year. Notre Dame will be okay, and that's why they don't need to rush. If you evaluate a kid to say, hey, this kid is a Notre Dame caliber player, then go after him. Novasat is. Kenny Minchie is. They don't need to rush or panic. Guys will guys will break out. Like, And there's a lot of kids committed to other schools. There's a kid committed to Minnesota that that no, I'm not, not saying Notre Dame's recruiting him. I'm saying, like, I love Drew Viotto. I think it's how you say his name. 
Uh, probably, I'm just sounding it out. It may be, it may be differently. But he's a kid from Michigan that's committed to Minnesota. Like, it's, it's a bit raw, but really talented kid. There's a kid that not a lot of people know of from South Dakota. That's a. I mean, there's a lot of kids that are out there, the good players that are getting overshadowed because it is such a loaded quarterback class. Yeah, and that's a that's Notre Dame is is picked the right year to kind of go through this. You know, we're like last year, they kind of if they didn't take Steve Angeli last year after they had some misses, they were going to be in trouble because it was not a very deep quarterback class. Now, they they had some other mistakes that they made. But but once they missed out on Drew Allard, it's like, OK, you need to go here because after that, there's just not a lot of it was not a good quarterback year last year. This year, guys that are going to be ranked like 20 to 25 at quarterback this year. Honestly, we're borderline top 10 guys last year. Well, I was even going to say there was a, there's a New Jersey kid coming out this year that's committed to Iowa, Marco Lanez, who's mm-hmm. a, a good player, man. I like him a lot, and I'm like, how is he only a three star? But it's like yeah. at some point, like, are all these kids four stars? It's possible, right? But like, yeah, some guys got to get uh, you know a little bit under the radar because it's just such a deep class. Yep. Got another question here from Benjamin Cartier. Uh, I think it's pretty cool how fast Marcus Freeman got this program turned around. Your thoughts? Well, I just say this right first. Yeah. <laughs> In one area, yes, sure. Recruiting wise, he's got this thing turned around immediately. Hundred percent. We got to still find out if these guys can coach in the stamp from the standpoint it's going to go win games. Are we confident that they will? Yeah, we are. But we still got to see it, right? We still got to see it. So, but from a recruiting standpoint, I mean, it's just it's a night and day, right? It's it's not even. It, it, it's not even comparable at this point in time. It's it's two completely different ways of going about it. One is a, is as good as anybody has, and the other was frustrating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> frustrating. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. now we just see if they can coach. Now we just see if they can coach. And if D Rock Irish is yeah. Oh yeah. Good good luck with the rest of the, yeah. Exactly. D Rock Irish says I'm back. I was literally living off the grid for the past two weeks back to IB. Now I would, I would actually love to be able to go off the grid for two weeks. It'd be so phenomenal. But I, I'd be a nervous, I'd be a, Brian, could you imagine me off the grid for two weeks and just the heart attack I would have, like just the nervous yeah. panic that I would have. I'd have like a secret sat phone for you to reach out to me on like under the bed that Angela didn't know about, so you, you know, I just, what you're saying. Oh my gosh. I, I would be a, <laughs> I'd be a hot mess, man. I'd be a hot mess. I, but I wish I could just unwind that way and just, take a couple weeks off it'd be so nice I, i'd be getting like messages from carrier pigeons oh, yes. like how's everything going <laughs> like, like when did you learn morse code hey just just mind your business okay um let's see here uh brandon k what players or recruits do you think if they maximize their potential could be number one overall picks we were asked this i think uh, a, a a little while ago ryan and, and you look at the guys that are committed to notre dame Mm-hmm. Or that Notre Dame is on, and guys that are currently on the roster. Sure. The one thing we discussed last time, and I'll reiterate now, is you have to th- consider that not every position is capable of producing a number one pick. I don't care how good that guy is. Right. I think didn't we look at tight end and like the last time a tight end went number one was like in the 70s or something absurd like I'm, that? I'm, I think I'm, surpri- I'm surprised it's ever happened. Yeah. I, well, I mean, you know, the game is the game is a little was a little different back in the day. Tight end juice, but I, I think there was a year where a tight end went number one, but I, I mean oh, it's right. been a long time. I mean, Kyle Pitts going four was like kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just it's just not something you see very often. 
I mean, I'm going over the years. I mean, Keith Jackson, as good as he was, was the 13th overall pick. 12th, Tony Hunter was 12. I'm just kind of going back. Uh, number seven, 13, seven. Ken McAfee, who was like college football player of the year, went seventh. At a Notre Dame, that's back in 78. And you know the number two tight end was coming out that year? That's a heck of a tight end class. You had Ken McAfee. Yep. Number two pick was Ozzie Newsome. Pretty good player. Todd Christensen was in that class. Mickey Schumer was in that class. Ken Spath was in that class. It's a pretty good tight end class, man. Goodness gracious. Yeah, it really is. Uh, let's see here. I'm, I'm looking at, at going back. I mean, I don't see seventh again, sixth. 1973, a guy went sixth. I thought I could be. I could. This might be since the merger. It might be possible, but I'm pretty sure Kyle Pitts was the highest drafted tight end since the merger of the NFL. Yeah. Before that, the highest I can find was Mike Ditka at fifth back in 1961. Yeah. So you're just not. I don't care how good Mike Kyle Hamilton or uh, Michael Mayer is. He's not going to be the number one overall pick. You're not going to see a running back be picked number one overall right now. Not the way the game is. You may. Quentin Nelson was fantastic, but he was never going number one overall. And he was, to me, hands down the best player in college football or the best player in the draft. And and most draft analysts agreed with that. But it's just Mm -hmm. positional value. So you got to be a quarterback, a wide receiver, and even that's rare. I wouldn't even say wide receiver. That's rare. Well, I'm just looking at it. There's years where you're going to have receivers that are close. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and here, let's go to wide receiver. Because you've had it happen before in my you, lifetime. Keyshawn, you had Keyshawn, Keyshawn was number yeah. one, right? Yeah, yeah. Corey Davis was five. I mean, you had one year, you had three going in the top ten. You know, so like Amari Cooper was fourth. Sammy Watkins was fourth. So mm-hmm. you've seen guys get picked really high. Sure. And depending on – A.J. Green was fourth. You've seen a lot of that. So it's not going to be unreasonable to think that a, uh, Calvin Johnson went second. You know, I mean, so you have a guy come along. Braylon Edwards was third. Larry Fitzgerald was third. Charles Rogers was second. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, again, you're kind of getting back in the early 2000s. But we've seen guys go number one overall. Peter Wart was number four. I could – if a, if a Randy Moss comes along sure, and you're the Jaguars and you've already got Trevor Lawrence and that guy's – yes, you're going to see a receiver go number one. I don't care if the next great greatest tight end of all time comes along. You're not picking him first. You're just, right. you're just, I don't see that happening. It never has happened. You're not going to see a center go number one overall. You're not going to see a guard go number one overall. You're not going to see a linebacker in today's game, like an inside off ball linebacker right now. I don't think it's going to number one. You're not going to see a safety go number one, in my opinion. You're yeah. just not going to see it in today's game. So you're talking about a quarterback, a left tackle, a receiver, and at the bottom of the list, an edge player, whether it's a three, four outside linebacker or, or, or an end and put, a poten- in a corner potentially, but I would put that at the bottom of the list, like with receiver, because we've seen. Yeah. I mean, Sauce went fourth, Jeff Fakuda went fourth. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. It could happen. I just think it's unlikely. Yeah. But it's off ball. It's it's edge edge rusher. Even if it's a three four outside a three four outside linebacker, mm-hmm. defensive end, defensive tackle. Yes, I mean Quinn and Williams went second a couple years ago. Sure. Uh, and then of course quarterback left tackle. Yeah. So. The answers changed a little bit for me since they got CJ Carr. Could I see CJ Carr developing into that type of player? Sure. Am I there yet? No. He's a sophomore, right? right? right. But you have a five-star quarterback who could at Notre Dame. He could potentially develop into a number one pick. Blake Fisher could be for me yes. if a team evaluates him as a left tackle. Mm-hmm. Joe Alt for me. You look, Possibly. you know, 
could potentially be there. Uh, and then as on the current team, I don't see anyone on defense that is that guy. I do think Keon Keeley has that kind of potential in my opinion Agree. as an edge player. Agree. I do. Agree. Yep. Now, Mike, Mike, I would have said yes about Jason Moore if he would have signed because I look at like a Trayvon Walker type of guy, but he would have been like if the right team is picking and he maximizes maybe, but he would have right. been a maybe just because he's not a true edge Right. But, you know, I look at Trayvon Walker and I'm thinking if Trayvon Walker can be the number one overall pick, Jason Moore could be the number one overall pick. But I don't think that was necessarily a smart decision by the Jaguars. Also also a product of not a great draft. Right. Right. Like if Brandon Joseph is hands down the best safety in the draft next year and it's not even close, he's not going to be a top five pick. Right. I mean, he'll be be scraping into the first round. Yes. If if Cam Hart is the best best corner in college football this year he's not gonna be the number one overall pick so th- if michael Mayer's the best player in college football this year he's not gonna be the number one overall pick so just keep in mind when we talk about who could be the number one overall pick it's position specific if you're just looking at the history of the nfl and especially recent trends where mm-hmm. 30 years ago a receiver going number one would have been much more like ryan wouldn't have been like the whoa right like he grown up in my era yeah okay sure makes sense mm-hmm. uh but just like you could see defensive tackles used to go number one a decent amount. Running backs used to go number one a decent amount. That won't happen in today's era. Like, no way. I think – I forget what year it was, but uh, Marshall Falk went number two overall, and the first pick was Big Daddy Dan Wilkinson yeah. from Ohio yeah. State. Defensive That's tackle. Right. So You will not see that happen one-two right now, no. in my opinion. Never again. Won't. Never again. Not well, in this modern era yeah. of the NFL. I was about to say, it can right. be cyclical, so maybe again right. at some point. You will not, see it someday. It's not going to be anytime soon at all, sure. in my opinion. Sure. Mark Avalon, if Notre Dame can flip either quarterback, should they wait? Uh, if Notre Dame cannot flip either quarterback, should they wait and see who of the non-committed three-star QBs pops in senior season? Also, Alabama shows two quarterback commits are either flippable. I want to address the Alabama part first, and Ryan, I'll let you take first crack at the first one. They are sure. not going to try and flip either one of Alabama's quarterbacks. Number one, Notre Dame evaluated Eli Holstein and decided not to make a run at him a while ago. They're just not high on him. And big-time arm, but just a lot of other questionable aspects of his game. You know, does he have a great feel and all that? Those are legitimate questions. And then the Dylan Lonergan, they never recruited because he's right now most likely going to be – a from everything I've read, it's going to be a high baseball draft pick, and you may not get him at all. So they will not make a run at either one of those. Ryan, you want to take a, a crack at the the first, that one yeah. right there? Mark, I, I think for me, I would evaluate everyone. From the, I mean, not, not everyone, obviously. You're not going to take a look at every quarterback in, the, in high school, but I wouldn't even shy away from, like, the three-star thing, right? If there was a three-star – I mean, because at one point in the pretty recent past – Kenny Minchie was rated as a three-star quarterback, you know, by a couple different platforms. So I wouldn't be scared as much from the three-star perspective. I would just evaluate what I see this summer on film and where the projection is going. Right. So I think you need to be a little creative, but I also think you need to do your due diligence, right? Like I think that you need to constantly evaluate. So yeah. Is there a possibility that you go into the season and you're evaluating who's the breakout guy? Sure, but I don't think you wait until the season starts. I think that process starts now if you don't hit on either one of those guys. I know. I hadn't started talking yet. I was, thought I was about to sneeze, so that's why I didn't take you. the thing off. I was like, I paused like, uh, uh, hold on. Is that going to come out or not? Um, I, don't, I don't think it has to be a three-star per se. 
Will they will they look at non-committed quarterbacks? Yeah. Will most of them be three stars? Most likely. There's not going to be a lot of highly ranked uncommitted kids, and the ones that are are going to be uncommitted because they're looking for something that Notre Dame's not offering, if we're being honest. I'd say just look for kids you can flip. So what does that mean? If Part of this is Notre Dame. Notre Dame has to go out there this year and show that they can be an explosive offense. If, if they are, that could let them get in the game with some kids, maybe that they're not in the game with. And also – if they can't flip either one of the kids that they're on now, that doesn't mean you stop recruiting them because if your offense is what you think it's going to be this year, they may be more flippable down the road. You know, that's the other part of it. And because like right now, is there a really big difference between what Baylor was on offense last year, what Notre Dame was on offense last year? Not really. There should be, but there isn't. If that changes this year and we expect it to change this year, you know, or at least Notre Dame expects it to change this year, then it teams, kids may be more amenable to being flipped. Right. But then there's just other kids that are committed. I mean, I, I don't think it should just be non-committed kids. I mean, if there's a kid committed to, you know, let's like we saw. With, I mean, if I'd have told you a month ago, Notre Dame should go look at some Kansas State run committed players and flip. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? If they're, oh, wow. This kid runs a four three. Yeah, sure. If just because a kid's committed somewhere in another school doesn't mean you can't flip them. Like I said, if I if I miss out on Minchie and, and Novasad, this is me, me personally. I'm not speaking for Notre Dame. This is Brian Driscoll giving his opinion. I'm making a, I'm making a, uh, I'm doing a film eval of the kid that's committed to Minnesota right now. I really like that kid's film. I thought that was a great pickup for Minnesota. I'd look at him. I'd see if he's a person because it's easy for me to say, looking at his film, I'd offer him. But if you're Notre Dame and you're being serious, you've got to see the academic transcripts. You got to talk to people, know the kid. Is he a hard worker? Is he got the mind? For, there's all types of things you have to learn for a school to actually offer a kid beyond just us sitting here on a show saying, oh, offer that guy, offer that guy, right? It's easy for us to say. It's not that simple in real life. But he's a kid that I would definitely look at. And if all the things check off, I'd throw an offer to if you thought you could flip them, you know, those kind of things. So I think there's a lot of guys that, that are out there. And that's the thing we talked about, Ryan and, and Mark. This is such a loaded class of quarterback. You'd have to really blow it not to get a good player. Now, will you get a great player? Unlikely no at that point. But you're going to get a good quarterback, in my opinion, if you unless you just blow it. Sure. Uh, or just decide not to take one for some reason. You know, maybe there's a grad, a, a transfer kid that reaches out during the season, like, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm in the portal now, or I'm going to go into portal after the season. You know, would you guys be interested?" Like, yeah, we would. We'll we'll discuss this more when you jump in, right? And it's usually not the kid reaching out because that's, but a head coach may say, "Hey, look, I got a kid that's looking to get in the portal. Would you guys be interested or not?" You know, you can kind of let it be known. Hey, look, we can't really talk about that, but yeah, you know, we're definitely going to be in, in the market for a grad transfer quarterback when the season's over. With you just answered it without answering it, without saying something illegal. Sure, and I think we'll see some of that. We have a lot of questions like this, Kyle. And can you talk, guys, about Logan Diggs? I'm sure you saw the video; looked good. Yeah, he did look great. But the thing is, is that's his. The legs were never the issue. It's it's his shoulder, shoulder. healed and cleared. Yeah, I'll say this: if Logan Diggs is cleared to start the season. This running back group is going to be really good. That's really good. So, yeah, he looked great. He, he looked like we saw him. Great feet, great balance, great change of direction. I mean, that's what I expect to see from Logan. It's like some people are like, oh, my gosh, did you see that? And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's pretty much what I expect because I'm super high on the kid. I always have been. It's just, is he going to be healthy? Mm-hmm. If he's healthy for September, whew, I'm going to feel really good about this backfield, right? Because you said it last week. If he's healthy – when he comes back, that's a running back group that that just pure talent wise can can compete with anybody else's top three, in my sure. opinion. 
there, there's no question about it, in my opinion. They just yeah. got to keep them all healthy. And that's the bigger question mark. And he, and he might have the most well-rounded game of all three when you take in the yes. fact of like catching ability, size, athletic, right. like he has a great blend of talent. There's no doubt about it. Yep, absolutely. Got a lot more. David Lowe, is Jalen Steed going to play this year? David, I don't know if he's going to play linebacker this year, but we both agree we'll be shocked if he's not playing on special teams. Somewhere. It's going to be an ace. Give me an yeah. ace in that department. Yeah. I'll be, if him and Nolan Ziegler and are not – on just about every special teams this year, I'll be a little surprised. I'll be, I'll be real surprised because I think those guys are going to be dudes on special teams at the very least in their mm-hmm. careers. And then maybe eventually become big time linebackers. Alan Watson with another super chat. Alan, thank you. Where will golden coach uh, did, did, do you like, did, did you like, did you like sidelines? I don't uh, I think he's asking when you were a coach, did you like being on the side? I did not. I was on the sidelines one uh, twice. My first year as a coach in 02 because I coached running backs, and I liked it then because of the position I coached. But whenever I was – and then a half of a season in 05 because our, our team was just a mess, and we were having trouble, like, getting messages down. And our It was just mm-hmm. a hot mess. And so I had to come down and kind of, you know, smoothing. <laughs> we had a super talented team, but we were young, and we just had – we just – our staff communication was – really poor on offense so i had to kind of come down and um and uh, be down there but i always preferred being up top because i'm an i'm an um i'm an excitable guy and and it was hard for me to i like being kind of calm on game day you know like i'll be fired up and, and loud and all that monday to thursday friday you start kind of getting in that mental headspace of hey it's execution time it's it's cool it's calm it's let's go do what we got to do and on saturday I like to be, hey, let's let's go out there, you know, let's get into a rhythm, let's get into a good headspace, let's go out there and play hard and execute and trust. It's about trust, right? Yes. Trust us, trust yourself, trust your teammates, you know, and go play. Uh, and I have a hard time when I'm down on the field of being calm. Not that I'm like insane. I just I'm I'm just you know I'm I'm more amped. I'm just it just was harder for me to be calm when I'm up in the booth and I'm away from it. I could easily pull myself out and just. Okay, focus on this and see this and do that. So, yeah, I, I didn't sure. like the sidelines. Where will get go, Al Golden be? It's a good question. I do not know. I would imagine he'll be up top. I would imagine. I would imagine. Um, yeah, there, there's like a there's like a pretty interesting balance. I feel like most offensive coordinators prefer to be mm-hmm. in the bo- in the box, but defense coordinators, I mean, like that could be hit or miss. You know, like I yep. know a lot of defense coordinators that like to be on the field. Yep. And they like to have their guy up there that's telling them, like, what are the alignments and all yeah. that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like relaying the message mm-hmm. while offensive coordinators, I think, just kind of like to see everything. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's yep. interesting. But we'll see. What's interesting is Marcus Freeman was the first Notre Dame defensive coordinator since Van Gorder. Oh, I hate to say that comparison. That was actually on the field. Yeah. Because Lee and Elko were both booth guys. Mm. And to me, it's about what you're comfortable with. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I just have a Great. feeling when I look at the makeup of the staff with Laronitis, with Freeman down there on the field, you know, with Al down there, you'll have one of the DB guys down there. I just have a feeling that you're going to see him up top is, is what I think. That's what mm-hmm. I think. So we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but that's kind of how I how I would if, – if I had to predict it, I would predict that. But he was on the field at Cincinnati. I'm pretty sure he was on the sure. field at Cincinnati. 
But yep. I, I've gone back to watch some Virginia games from 04 and 05, and I, 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 I could never find him on the sideline. So I think he was up in the box. But the, the whole, that's just – it could have just been the ESPN views. We never saw him back then, but I couldn't find him. Jay with a super chat. Thank you, Jay. I'm 30 minutes behind, but Edwards equals Tavon Austin 2.0. Let's hope. That, that's quite a bold <laughs> statement, but I'll tell you this, buddy. I hope you are right because Tavon Austin was one of the most exciting players the last decade. I mean, that's best highlight tape of all time. Most explosive player ever to play at West Virginia. And when you consider they had guys like Major Harris and Pat White and Steve Slayton, that's mm-hmm. that's quite a statement to make. Kid was ridiculous, man. I mean, literally, like, I, and I know why the comparisons happened because he was a high school running back that I think was actually a running back early on in his West Virginia career, if I remember correctly. But I mean, he was a high volume slot receiver that just made people look absolutely stupid in the open field. And mm-hmm. I get it. Dylan Edwards has some of that in him. I get it. But I mean, Tavon's one of the best slots we've seen in, like Brian just said, like the last 15 years, you know, like yeah. he's uh, I mean, maybe one of the best of all time, if we're being honest, like he was a, he was a dude at West Virginia. He was special. Remember he him against was Clemson? really special. In that high scoring game, he had like four touchdowns. Do you remember the LSU game? game? Probably. He yeah, was, he was making it. LSU dudes look silly. I mean, just silly. And that, and that was when LSU was putting some dudes out on defense. I mean, yep. he he was a he was a dude. He was a monster. He was, was very fun to watch. Yeah. So if Dylan Edwards is even in the conversation as a Tavon Austin, that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Sure it's a different would. offense, though. That's the other thing to consider. It's a, it, that spread offense was more conducive to getting guys like that the ball. I'm very curious to see what Tommy Reese is going to do with a kid like Dylan Edwards if Naram is able to add him to the class. Jim Halloran with a super chat. Thank you, Jim, very, very much. My concern is, will they get fundamentally better? Last year, they did not. Will Al Golden teach fundamentals coming from the pros? So, so this will be more, Jim, more of a question that we'll discuss. Well, we will dive into this, but it'll be tomorrow. But since you did give a super chat, we'll address it. So, Ryan, do you want to kind of take a, a first crack at, at this answer? Because he's yeah, not wrong. I mean, no, he's not wrong. He's not wrong at all. I think that Al Golden, like, you're going to – a part of the bigger machine that is Marcus Freeman, obviously as the head coach, you were going to devise your defensive game plan for the week, right? Like not even just for the game day, like what are you teaching every day in practice? What is the flow? What is, what are you going from one drill to the next? Like what is the focus from a defensive perspective? And I think the big thing about being a coordinator is you need all your assistant coaches to be on the same page, right? Like you need the fundamentals and the philosophy that you are striving for each and every day. And I would be very surprised, Jim, if after Al Golden watched the film from last year and obviously coach Freeman included in this conversation that they're not like, there's some things we just need to be fundamentally a lot better, whether that is tackling or press tack or whatever it is, there's things across the board from a defensive line perspective, from a Viper, you know, strong side defensive end perspective, from a linebacker, secondary, everything. There's things that they know they need to get better at. So with so many good coaches on this roster, and this actually goes even to the offensive side of the football, I do believe that Notre Dame is going to be a much better coach team as far as the Mm -hmm. fundamentals because I think that they understand there's talent here. And a lot of the the deficiencies they had last year was kind of their own fault, right? Mm -hmm. How they taught things or or just shortcomings in that department. So I think there was going to be a high emphasis on the fundamentals of playing the game. Yes, I do. 
For me, I will say this. I agree with everything Ryan said. Marcus Freeman is very well aware and not pleased with the fundamental aspects of last year's defense. And I think there was a lot of reasons why that was true that he will address that come from the level that was a little bit beyond his role as defensive coordinator. But I also think that 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 is one of those things that can happen when you are making a complete overhaul from a defensive scheme and philosophy standpoint. And that's what he chose to do last year. So whether you agree with it or not, that's the decision he made. And they went with it. And so that should benefit them this year because now the scheme, the philosophy is more installed, even though, yes, you are going to have a new coordinator and all that kind of stuff. I get all that. That's true. But he's not. it's not going to be this monumental shift like it was from Lee's defense to, to Freeman's. But, yes, Marcus Freeman is very well aware and not happy with the, the fundamental – play of the team last year on both sides and I think part of it was the fact that the offense was so bad in their fundamentals that you sometimes when you're dominating the other side of the ball you you maybe you don't have a sense of knowing who you really are until you get to the season and the fundamentals haven't been instilled by the time the season starts it's really hard to then do it then and I think that's something that kind of happened last year here's a question for you Ryan I've addressed this one a bunch I'll let you answer it Wade Garrett with a super chat. Thank you, Wade, very much. What are your expectations of Jordan Patejo this year? I mean, if he has his head right, I have high expectations for him. I think that he's a another guy that could be a moving chess piece. Like I think that he can play Rover. He's played Viper. I think he can play in the box. The question is about consistency with a Jordan Patejo. Can you depend on him from a snap to snap basis? If you can, the kid's phenomenally talented. Like I mean, he can do literally anything on the football field that you need him to do from a defensive perspective. The biggest question is accountability. Can you depend on him not only from a game to game, but literally from a drive to a drive and a snap to a snap? If you can, then he has all the talent to be a really good player, Wade. It's just Mm -hmm. we have to see it on a day-to-day basis that he is that guy that you can depend on to play because he's definitely not going to be playing all those different spots if you don't have any trust in him. Maybe there's one thing that he does really well that you're like, I can trust him to do that one thing awesome. But until Jordan Botello gets the full the full trust of the staff, he's never going to hit his upside. But he has yeah. all the talent in the world. And if it does click on, then he's going to be a really good football player at Notre Dame, in my opinion. I need to say something in response to some of the stuff in the chat. And, and we've had mm-hmm. a lot of this on the board. I would encourage all of you, stop looking at kids' Twitter pages. Stop looking at what they like and don't like or retweet and assuming that you're going to get a read on what a kid is going to do from a recruiting standpoint because how many things he's liking. Just stop. You're going to drive yourself nuts. It just – that is – like, just stop, okay? Stop. It's not good. It just – it's just – just stop. Kyle N. asks, actually, we have a question up here from Kyle. When Notre Dame plays Alabama in the playoff this year, how do you guys think that the secondary will match up against the Tides receiver depth? Uh, Can I make this statement, Ryan? This is the best matchup Notre Dame will have had against an Alabama receiving core in the last 10 years. Notre Dame's secondary is better, and Alabama's is not. Because even in 2018, as good as Notre Dame's secondary was, that Alabama receiving core was loaded. Notre Dame would have have to have done what Clemson did, which is dominate in the trenches to have a chance in that game. And they did that to Clemson. They did that to Alabama. Clemson did that. They dominated in the trenches, forced Tua into some mistakes because of timing, including the pick six, things like that. They baited him with some coverage stuff. 
they were not going to just go run because that's the only thing that kept Alabama in early. You made that long touchdown pass from Jerry Judy early uh, to Jerry Judy early, which was big part of that game. But this is going to be the, the, the matchup where it's closest. And I would even say as of right now, if you look at Notre Dame's receivers or secondary and Alabama's receivers, even with the two kids coming in, a case could be made that the two best players on the field in that matchup are both in a Notre Dame uniform. Ryan will probably push back a little bit more on that because he's higher on Jermaine Burton than I am, but it's in the conversation where we, I think we both agree the best player is Brandon Joseph. Then the question is, is Cam Hart better than Jermaine Burton? That's a, a much different question, but it's at least debatable. Whereas a couple of years ago, it wasn't debatable. The only guy that Notre Dame had that could even be in the same conversation with those guys was Kyle Hamilton. And even then, Devontae Smith was still clearly the better player going into sure. that matchup. Yeah, I actually wasn't going to push back on that, Brian. I mean, we've talked about Jermaine Burton a ton. Right now, Cam Hart and Brandon Joseph are more proven than Jermaine Burton is. Mm-hmm. I, my, my only pushback is that I think Jermaine Burton can, could be a dude. Like, I think he sure. can be. I think he has enough talent to be. The Tyler Harrell kid, I haven't seen enough of. I know he's a really fast kid, like 4-3-something for the kid that transferred from sure. Louisville. Ja'Cory Brooks, I know, was a good recruit, and he had some flashes. He had a touchdown last year in, in the uh, in the playoffs. So, like, a, a, the actually, not the playoffs. It was the game against Auburn where they had to come from behind. He had the game winner at the end of that game. So, I think there's absolutely talent there, but it's very unproven for Alabama. This is the most – I'm not going to say – least talented but i would say that it's the most unproven wide receiver coordinator uh, alabama has had it in a few years mm-hmm. you know there are a lot of question marks right now with it but there's talent obviously. and i don't think it's the always. talent is but i don't where i'll where i'll push back and maybe you're not saying this i don't think the talent is what it's been like even if all no. the guys you talk about are what you say they are it's still not as there's still no Devonte smith on the roster there's definitely that. no Devonte smith and jerry judy and henry ruggs on the roster and i thought henry ruggs was overrated as a player but he still was a 4-2 guy a good player, you can't yeah. teach that you know sure uh, but that's my thing is is it's just not that and i think those guys are good football players hmm. i don't think they're going to be as good as even jameson williams and, J- and john mechie were and and those one two wasn't even as good as what they had in past years as good as jameson williams was last year he wasn't Devonte smith Sure. It wasn't Jerry Judy in his last year, you know, in my opinion. So that's just kind of where I come from on it. It's still a really good receiving core. It, sure. th- don't don't get it twisted. It's it's they're not throwing bums out there. It's just <laughs> it's not what it's been. And Notre Dame is getting better, and that's that's the that's key fair. for me. That's Very the key fair. for me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Kyle N, I wish I could join the board, guys. Just not in a position to join right now. Also, I follow the minds of 16 and 17-year-olds enough as it is. I would say get off social media then and join the board. 
Uh, it's four ninety nine a month, right? It's like one cup of coffee, one Big Mac, like one. It, that's it. They make one of those sacrifices a month, and you join. We tried to make it as affordable as we possibly could. And even during these tough economic times, we made the decision not to change the prices because we want to make sure that of all the things that are going up in price in your life right now, that we don't add to that uh, to that headache. So we, we're remaining where we are. So it's very, very affordable, man. You should definitely That's give it a try. There's no About doubt. the same as a gallon of gas, depending That's on That's right. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> depending on what state you are, yeah. Sacrifice one gallon of gas and you can do it. Patrick Bird said, what are the COVID rules, if any, for Notre Dame Stadium? They have not released what they are for this season, but last year there weren't any. Uh, there were no uh, – there was like a kind of like an honor system kind of thing if you weren't feeling good or something, something like that, but there were no rules. Were, meaning there was nothing they checked, I don't believe. Yeah. They, Didn't they, they do have, a temperature check or something like that when you walked in? Did they do that to you guys not, last year? No, not not at the – no, no, not at the game last year. And then I remember for the spring game it was like – a. They were like, you know, if you have your vaccination card, you should have it with you just in case. But like, no right. one has to see my vaccination no, yeah. card. So, yeah, yeah, I was at the spring game, and I'm not vaccinated. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't an issue. Here's a good one. Blaine Tiller says, if you had to pick one level of the defense to be elite, and the others to just be good or above, which do you pick? D line, linebacker, secondary, part two. Does that answer change in a Al Golden defense versus a Marcus Freeman defense? Can I say one thing on this, Ryan? Sure. For me, I don't think it changes no matter what defense I'm playing or who my defensive coordinator is. Mm-hmm. It's the same answer no matter what. It's defensive line. Defensive line, yep. Pass rush over pass coverage, right? That's your, right. That's your thing. Yep, right. I agree. Because a great, def- a great pass rush and a great defensive line can impact the game more than a great secondary. And on the flip, and th- and that's not just or, or can impact the game more than a secondary, and that is true no matter which direction you go. If you have a great secondary but a bad pass rush, you start getting into certain games, you're gonna get beat because you can't cover all day. Mm-hmm. And you get in like a great example is the you know the 2018 game against Notre Dame and Clemson. It's like no matter how good those DBs were, it just takes a, a in, against elite teams. It just takes a couple big plays, and all of a sudden, bam! And they did it to each other. I mean. Go go look at the title game. I mean, as good as that Clemson secondary was, Jerry Judy torched them for a long touchdown in that game, early in the game. Yep. And the reason Alabama blew Clemson out or Alabama out is because they dominated, dominated the trenches in that game. Sure did. And 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 uh that was the a big part of it. So yes, it's D line over again, because you said just good or better at the others. What you don't want is a great D line and a crap secondary. Sure. Or a crap D line and a great secondary. You want to at least be good. But if I if I know I'm going to be elite every year, I'm going to be elite in the second. And and a perfect example is I would say Alabama's front at times in recent years has not been as good, even in years where they've had really good secondary players. And it's and they that's why they haven't been as good. When Alabama was dominating, they were great in the trenches. You know, and they didn't always have great players there because sometimes it's just scheme fit guys that were just great for that defense. Right. But that's where that, I I don't is that still true in the NFL, Ryan? I I don't watch as much. I, I know in college football it's an easy answer. Is that still true in in the NFL today? It, I mean, it can be. There's players that can kind of overcompensate for the scheme. I guess is a way to put it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Joe Burrow just went to the Super Bowl with one of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen in Cincinnati. Right. So like, there's you can scheme around some things, but I think at the heart of it, though, you want to be strong in the trenches still, in my opinion, and. 
that's funny that like, you kind of say that, Brian, about the Alabama defensive line. The Alabama offensive line has not been good for a couple of years, man. Like, it really has not. Alex Leatherwood was so overrated a couple of years ago. Last year they had – I still can't believe they had Chris Owens starting at right tackle, who was like a backup center the year before. It didn't make any sense. So, I mean, there's some ways that you can scheme around a bad offensive line, but for the most part, I think good offensive lines usually win a lot of games. Got another question here from Chief Brody, speaking of. Mm-hmm. Will Harry Heastan, how will Harry Heastan improve the offensive line so quickly? Is it pretty, it was pretty brutal last season, even with good players. This goes back to a question that we just had a, a couple, couple, you know, a couple minutes ago. It's the fact of like, how do you make him, you know, what is the emphasis? Is the emphasis going to be on the technical side of things? Right. And I think that that's the biggest thing is that Harry Heastan, well, not the biggest thing. One of the biggest thing is that Harry Heastan is going to coach the position up better than it has been in years past. The most important thing, though, Chief Brody, in my opinion, is that they're going to play with the temperaments. They're going to play harder. They're going to play mm-hmm. more aggressively. They're going to finish through the whistle. Those things, two things combined, I think that we're going to see an immediate improvement. I would be very surprised if we didn't see a better version. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if against Ohio State, if its offensive line wasn't better than at any point last year. I think that that's an easy thing to kind of say. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. I think that that, that Notre Dame's not good games will be as good as good games last year. Hundred percent, right? Yep. So yeah, but it's like, mentality, technique. Yep, that's it. Because the right? talent's there. Because the talent's yeah. there. Yep. Right. It's mentality and technique, and yeah, that that that's how you change it and it's just and it's you know the the big thing it's demanding excellence demanding excellence isn't saying it mm-hmm. it's literally that demand it you know like if you tell your if you're a parent you tell your kid i want you in bed by nine o'clock every night be in bed by nine o'clock but then you don't actually hold them accountable to it guess what they're not going to go to bed at nine o'clock right so it's about demanding is demanding it and then making sure that they're it, you never let up. You never let up. You never let up. You never let up. And that's the thing that every offensive lineman that played for Harry Heastan will tell you, like, it was never good enough. It's never good enough. And it may have drove us nuts at the time, but we understood why it was that way. And the results spoke for themselves on Saturdays. And now in my NFL career, they speak for themselves because that mentality never leaves you. It's why Notre Dame offensive linemen during Harry Heastan's tenure tended to get overdrafted a little bit at times. Not like by enormous amounts, but I think I think Ronnie Stanley, for the player he was in height in college, was drafted a little higher than I think he probably should have been because he was still an inconsistent player at Notre Dame. But you could see the talent, and they trusted Harry. Mike mm-hmm. McGlinchey, in my opinion, was overdrafted a little bit. And I'm not saying he should have been a third-round pick, but he should have been ninth. I'm talking about Ronnie. Ronnie would – you know, 10th to fit 12th, 13th probably is sure. like, you know, Quentin Nelson wasn't, but that's more a guard related. I, I just, I think you look back over the years and you see guys that are like, you know, that, that had a lot to do with the Harry Heastan influence because sure. NFL teams and NFL line coaches respect the heck out of Harry Heastan and what he does. And they know that if this guy played for Harry, number one, he knows how to take coaching. There's, you cannot survive in their name for four or five years if you can't take coaching. And, you know, I think that's something that's been a big a big part of what they do. And if you can see, too, Ronnie Stanley's has changed. You've seen a shift in how he has responded to Harry Heastan-related topics from when he left Notre Dame to now. Because I think he gets it like, oh. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot to kids. With Like, there's players that play for Lou Holtz. Like, you know, I couldn't stand him when I played for him. 
But now that I'm a parent and I'm a boss or I'm a, I totally get it. And I'm so glad that I stuck it out because I now know what he was trying to do. It wasn't just to make me a better football player. It was to make me more accountable, more responsible, all these type of things that impacts me even beyond the football field. I think you see kids, even kids who maybe we've heard this, uh, Sean Davis was talking about how they had Steve Elmer on the show. And he said that, like, I, I, I didn't appreciate that as much then as I do now. Now I'm, I'm sitting there as a grown up, and I'm like, wow, like I so am glad I went through that. And I think it's about that demanding excellence in everything you do and never settling for less than that. I think that's, that's what it comes down to for me. Right. Jay Henry, Brian and Ryan, has there ever been an instance where Irish breakdown has had to give the staff a nudge to look at a certain recruit? Yeah, there has. Um, there has, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but yeah, there has, because it, 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 there may be something that we know that, that they don't, which is rare, but it's like, we were at an event that they couldn't be at, or, you know, we happen to have a relationship that, that an end that they don't know about. And Hey, you know, you guys may not think this kid is open to you, but I have a buddy who has a buddy and I can tell you with good authority that this is the case. I will say this. It is rare that we would do that rare mm-hmm. because number one, it's not really our job and it's more so for the kid than it is for Notre Dame. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's just not our job to do that. It's their job to find kids, but there have been times when, um, and there's been times in the past, this coaching staff hasn't asked me to do this, but the pat when I, cause I don't go on the road as much, but when I used to go to events, I, I had coaches in their names. Hey, can you watch this kid for me? Tell me what you think. Uh, and I would and give feedback and that would maybe be a factor in their overall decision-making process. So, yeah, but it's, it's not often because it, I, especially now that I run my own business, I just feel like it's even more. So we got to make sure that we, I have good relationships with the coaches on the current staff and there's certain things we, that, 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 you know, that, that I'm comfortable with, but at the end of the day, it's still, I have a job to do and they have to understand that. And then also I have to make sure that that line doesn't get blurred, um, you know, to that, because you, you got to really make sure. And that can be, that can be risky. That can be hard. It's been hard. It's like, everybody knows I was close with Chip Long and I had to really be, make sure, be, make sure that I was okay. Am I, am I being critical enough here knowing that it may, you know, early on in that, you know, friendship, but then you realize like he doesn't care because what I learned with him is he, I could never be harder on him than he was going to be hard on, than he was going to be on himself. Same with the Mike Elko. I can never be more critical of Mike Elko if I'm sticking to football, right. And being, you know, then he was going to be of his own performance. And I think that's kind of where you want to be. That's you hope that you have coaches that are like that. Like, I don't care what Driscoll said. I think I did even worse than he said, you know what I mean? You kind of want that, that aspect of it. John A1, which offensive lineman can make it hard on Harry Heastan to choose his best group? And how can Coach Heastan avoid another 2014 situation? Well, 2014 was unique because they had a bunch of guys out in that spring. A bunch of unproven guys out. Christian Lombard was out. Nick Martin was out. The 2014 thing had a lot of injuries and was far more unsettled. You weren't sure where Steve Elmer was going to play. Started at guard. They moved Christian Lombard inside because of his kind of his back issues. They ended up flipping him as the season went on. Nick Martin moved from center to guard, not because he couldn't handle center, because he had a busted up hand. And so there was a lot of injury things that kind of went into that. I think this unit is more settled, Ryan. But who who would – so that's the 24th comparison. And how can he avoid that? Hope that they don't have the injuries they had in 2014. Right. They have far more proven 
like guys you've seen in the roles are going to play this year. Uh, but uh, John, to the first part of the question, Ryan, who mm-hmm. would be the one offensive lineman that you think could make it hardest for Harry Heastan to to choose his best group? Meaning, who's the guy that we don't project as a starter that can make it? Like, man, I'm having a hard time picking this one. I mean, I, I guess my guy would be Tosh Baker. I, I suppose. I mean, it's it's tough because I would argue that Notre Dame's two most talented players up front are the starting tackles, right? With Blake Fisher mm-hmm. at right tackle and Joe Alt at left tackle. Like, I think that's a pretty easy, you know, kind of conversation to have, but I think Tosh Baker is incredibly talented. You know, he struggled last year, but we've talked a lot about the coaching. We don't have to kind of revisit mm-hmm. that conversation, but kid is six, eight, 300 plus pounds has good feet. And, and he's a talented kid. It's just, it hasn't clicked at this point due to some things that are out of his control. So I think the, the close, the, the tough part, Brian is like, if Tosh Baker is your one of your five best offensive linemen, then, I mean, are you going to move one of the tackles inside? Is that something that you're even open to? Like, that's mm-hmm. what a tough conversation has for me. It's just because your two the two players that I think you're most excited about for the potential long term are already starting a tackle. And Tosh Baker is six foot eight. He's not going to play guard if he's the one of the five best offensive linemen. So you just might have a little bit of a log jam and, both the kids in front of him are both sophomores. So they yeah. are going to at least have two more years. So it's just, it's going to be a tough road for Tosh Baker. I know we talked about like, he may have more eligibility even past those guys, if especially if they leave early, but I think he's a talented player. And if he shows right. that he's one of the five best, I think it's just going to be a little tough trying to find a spot for him. Right. I, I think, right. I think that's, I think him and Andrew Kostovic are the two for me mm-hmm. uh, for different reasons. Tosh, because of the ceiling, if the light goes on for Tosh this fall, he could make it like, hmm. Right. Well, our, you know, there's not really a place for him at tackle per se. It's not like you're taking Joe or Blake off the field, but man, how do we how do we not get this kid? You know, that could and then maybe say, okay, we're gonna bump Blake into guard and move Jarrett back to I mean, he could maybe do that. And then Christophic just with the whole him already, excuse me, being inside, you know, move Jarrett back to center, he goes into guard or whatever. I think those yeah. are the two for me that would most likely make it to where, boy, this, this decision is a little bit tougher than you think. I, I don't think, I don't think Rocco's there yet, mm. uh, but you know may, he might be the only other one of the young guys that could kind of break out with a good fall camp to say, hey, you know what? Like, we need to think about finding a role for this kid. Even and look, honestly, for me, especially early against Marshall and Cal. And then, you know, kind of getting the Stanford. I would honestly have a third guard ready to take some of the reps off of Jarrett Patterson and Josh Luggs early in the season because, you know, Jarrett's coming off the pec injury. You know, like maybe the fourth series, I third or, you know, maybe the third series I get, you know, one of my guards in for Josh. And then the next series, that guy's in for, for Jarrett, you know, just to kind of take a, take some of the pounding off of two guys that have struggled with upper body injuries in their careers. Uh, I think that would maybe be smart. You, But that only happens because someone has said, this kid's too good not to play, and we just got to figure something out at that point in time. Okay, Cole Barker with a super chat. Thank you, Cole. This is a comment uh, more than a question. This is great. Cole Barker <laughs> said, thank you, Cole, for this. I needed this comedic relief. Uh, if Stefan Tewitt and Jalen Smith had a baby, would it be Keon Keeley? <laughs> First of all, there's so much. There's so much. So if let's say they they found some some uh, 
way to to you know clone like you know take traits of certain people and turn it into a a, a new human being. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty close. That's a. I mean, it. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the question. <laughs> Without them getting into other things that I don't want to talk about on the show, but yeah, Cole. I mean, I think that's a, I uh, I think that's a that's an interesting one. But yeah, I mean, look, you got the great size and length that Stefan brought to the table, right? Height, length. You've got the explosiveness that Jalen brought to the table for that position. So yes, I uh, sure. I, I can see it. Jonathan Kesmarek, thank you, Jonathan, for the super chat. Glad to see you back, buddy. Appreciate you very, very much. Jeff Fluke with a very interesting question, Ryan. 2023 mm-hmm. offense versus 2023 defense, recruiting class-wise. If the recruiting class finishes how you expect, final drive to win, who are you taking? So what does that look like? You get one of – let's say you get Kenny Minchick quarterback, just for argument's sake. Yep. You get Dylan Edwards. You get Jeremiah Love. You get Ronan Hannafin. Uh-huh. Defensively, you get Jaden Osbury, Ben Minich. And let's just, for perfect finish, say Samuel and Pemba right last drive of the game who are you taking i am going to take the defense but it's a closer conversation than i think we may have envisioned early on in this recruiting process when the defense was like head and shoulders above the offense it is going to be an interesting conversation because i do think that there's some Spots in the offense that I think could you could take advantage of mm-hmm. defense and certain spots. Like I think the wide receivers versus cornerbacks is would be a fantastic matchup. I think that the defensive line would give the offensive line some trouble in spurts. I think it would be a really close contest, but I would ultimately probably defer to who I think are the best players. And that would be Keon Keeley is like kind yeah. of the big guy for me, right? It's well, your two and, best players would still be Keeley and 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 Peyton Bowen, don't you think? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's my point. So, like, I just think that the the stars of the class, there's just a couple more on defense comparative to offense, so that would win slightly. But I don't think it's a runaway like we once thought it could be. If you take Impemba off, does it change your answer at all? It doesn't for me. No, nah, it doesn't change yeah. my answer much. No. Yeah, I, I was going to bring up another hypothetical, but it's still too painful, so I won't go there. Oh, no. You have a super chat from Christopher Morgan. Hi, IB family. Happy Monday to all. Just checking in. Thank you. Thank you very much. Chris also had another super chat. If an IB's, uh, an IB's thoughts on defense with major possible breakouts this year, who do you see two to three top Notre Dame defensive players that will be route breakers for other offenses facing us? Route breakers? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe Is game breakers? Hmm. Yeah. I was thinking like, press man corners yeah <laughs> i don't know so i'm not i'm not quite sure i get that um chris what you mean by that I, maybe he means game wreckers game breakers game wreckers so so possible breakouts who do you see are the two three top notre dame defensive players that would be um for no other game offenses wreckers. facing us game wreckers maybe yeah so you right, want to take so... it let's just go about it that way and if christopher follows up with a further explanation we would appreciate that we'll We'll, uh, yeah. we'll change that. Maris Loyfowl's my number one. We talked about him a bunch. He would be a game wrecker, I think, on the defensive side of the football if he hits a ceiling. I also think Jordan Patello would be a game wrecker because I think that you could just do so many different things with him if the light comes on. The last one's a little tough. Um, I guess Riley Mills. I mean, he's te- he's te- he's played good football in spurts, but I, I would still – I would still label him as a potential breakout. So I would say Riley mm-hmm. Mills, Jordan Batelho, and Maris Lloyd Bow. So 
Maris, Riley Mills, and, and Batoho? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do, and you count Jason Adamiola as already kind of being in there? Yeah, I think he's a guy already. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Kay Grant with a super sticker. Thank you very, very, very much. Appreciate that very much. Uh, we have a super chat from another super chat from Alan Watson. Ohio State game, you win the toss, defer. Yes or no? I I mean, I'm always a fan of deferring, to be honest. I know we've talked about this a Spoken bunch. Spoken like a true defensive player. I am, man. I'm, I'm fine with going on the field first, if I'm being completely honest. But I, I think it's, you know, there's a feel to it, and there's hypotheticals and different situations. I'm fine with deferring, though. I, I don't I don't put too much stock in the coin toss, if I'm being completely honest. I do put stock in it uh, in certain matchups. I mean, I, I don't think it's just in winning and losing. I think it's, 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 I put in stock into it as far. How do I want to start the game? Right. And, and it's not the same for every matchup, right. In some games I want my offense on the field and I want to go right down the field and put seven on this team and, and say, here we go. Other team, other games. It's like, I want to get a stop. I know we can dom. you know, for this particular matchup, Ryan, I'm back and forth on it. I am I am usually a take the ball guy, and in this instance, there's a lot of merit to that because I want to get a lead before Ohio State's vaunted offense can get on the field, right? And my whole thoughts are: I look at it as you know, you play the you play the game of do we think if we start the ball, we can dominate time of possession, which then maybe we get into a situation where you know we get the ball last in the first half. Yes, they'll start the game, they'll start the second half with the ball. But we feel like we'll already have got a, a you know a, a, an advantage on them because we start and finish the half of the ball. There's you know do I want to give them a chance to to go you know our defense is right on the field immediately without the game going at all and then we have to stop them and next thing you know our offense doesn't get on the field till we're down seven nothing already. There's all types of those type of things, mm-hmm. which would make me kind of lean towards. I think I'd probably want the ball to try to because if you like that matchup against their defense put their offense on the field for the first time with a little bit pressure behind them. Right. The other notion is, Hey, put your best unit on the field and trust them, even though that's also going against their best unit. That's the counter argument to that. Mm -hmm. So I think it just really comes down to, you know, in the matchup of the game, you know, how do you want to, do you think you can maybe take advantage of them like real early when the momentum's running high to maybe catch a big play? There's just a lot to it to me that kind of goes into that. Like that, you know, can you get a stop early and then quiet the crowd, then go get a score and go up seven? Because that's, I mean, that's like the perfect world, right? Like the perfect world is you start on defense, you know you're going to get a stop, then you get the ball, you go down and put a touchdown on the board. So now you're up and you're going to get the ball, start the second half, and you've got some momentum, the crowd's quiet. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, where you go down and score and then they go right back down to score and tie it up. Like, okay, that momentum you thought you had is now gone and now you're in a shootout. There's so many, you could talk yourself into a million different possibilities. I think it just comes down to, the game situation where how do we want to start this game off sure it, it ultimately is where it's going to be and i don't think notre dame has an answer to that until they get to the point where they've gone through camp and they feel a lot better about where we are as a football team i think right now with what we know i'd probably lean towards deferring because right now i just like what we talked about at the beginning of the show the one thing i'm confident notre dame's going to be this year is good on defense mm-hmm Right now, by end of camp, I may be like, yo, I want to get Tyler Buckner on the field as quickly as possible and see what this kid can do. Maybe we're there. I want to mm-hmm. immediately come out and hit him in the mouth with our run game and, and chew chew five, six minutes off the clock before their offense even gets a snap. Sure. I may change, but right now, what I know, I know that this defense is going to be good, so I would defer. And that's coming I, I, from a guy that's normally a start-with-the-ball kind of guy. 
I, I, I think kind of, you know, to the other side of it, <clears throat> to my notion, right? Like, I think that you see so many teams now defer more often than not that I think when you're an underdog, and I, I think Notre Dame is like a 14 and a half point underdog by one sports book. And I'm just like, why, why is it continuing to grow? Does, or 15 and a half, some crazy mm-hmm. number. I'm just like, okay, cool. When you're a, when you're an underdog and you're going in or perceived underdog and you're going into another person's stadium, I do think there is something to kind of like a little bit of confidence, Brian, where you're just kind of like, we want the ball, you know, and like to kind of mm-hmm. set the tempo and to set that aggression. I think there is something to that, to, to kind of your point as well. It's like, we want the ball. Like we're not deferring because mm-hmm. I think deferring does have a connotation like passiveness, even though that's not technically what it is, but like, you do kind of get that connotation a little bit, right? But when you say, like, I want the football, then that's a very, like, assertive, I guess, approach to the game. Last question. Last two questions. Jonathan Gabrick, do you take a quarterback no matter what this class, even if someone you really don't just – you don't like just to fill numbers, or do you save the scholarship and offer someone that can help you at another position? I never, ever, ever would take a kid – just to fill numbers. That's what the portal's for. Go get an Ivy League grad transfer that can hold a clipboard and play in an emergency situation. Like, seriously. uh, Seriously. Uh, There's no way I'm taking a kid that I'm now committing a four-year scholarship to just to fill numbers. Never, ever would do that. Never would do that. So, you want to add to that, Ryan? Or is that kind of... Like, it's a fair question. I mean, I get it. Because you're looking at this from a building your roster standpoint. I, I actually am understand why Jonathan asked the question. This isn't a, but it's just for me, I'm mm-hmm. adamant. And the last staff would do that. They would offer kids just, well, we needed a, another, this in the class. And it's like, that's why this kid, and I don't even want to say the names because it'd be disrespectful to the kids, but it's like you wasted a scholarship and now you couldn't take a better kid down the road. Cause you took a kid just to fill a number, well, you know, annoying. like get a good walk on. Like seriously, there are kids that would walk on and, and from Illinois and Indiana, they're good football players that, would be better served as your third, fourth string quarterback than a kid that you've committed a four-year scholarship to. I mean, seriously. But f- fair question, Jonathan. It's just my my passion is coming from my my feeling on the topic, not that it wasn't a good question. If it wasn't a good question, I wouldn't have brought it up. Well, we've we've talked about it before, Brian, because somebody's asked us, like, would you pass on this class just in general? And my conversation has always been, if there's someone you love, you take a quarterback. If right. there's someone that you don't, then you don't force it to fill a number, to your point. So, yes, I agree with you 100% on this one. Right. Last one, Brandon Plensner says, who's going to be the vocal leader for Notre Dame this year, similar to Daylon Hayes and Kyron Williams, in your opinion? Who on the roster can fill that role? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I, I have would some say, ideas. Yeah, I, I think defensively, I think Jason Adamalola has a lot of that in him. I think that and so does Justin. Leader. Justin too. Yeah. yeah. So the Adamalola brothers, I think, is one. I think Maris kind of has that like personality. If he starts to, to produce, sure. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. Then it's a weird one because he's a first-year player at Notre Dame. No, nope, I was going to say it. I, think. I was yeah. going to say it. Look, he, from what I've been told, they don't look at him as a first-year player anymore. The team doesn't. They, they're like, that's just our guy. That's one of our guys. Like, Love he's it. already earned it. And, and if Isaiah Foskey says something, people will listen. I don't know if Isaiah is that yep, 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 nonstop guy. I think yeah. Jason is Jason and Justin, to me, will be the most vocal of the guys that are playing a lot, will be the most. Now, Bo is a very vocal leader, but it's I just don't know if his role is quite there. You know, for that to be defensively as a team vocal guy, Bo is definitely a vocal leader of this football team. 
you watch sure. the summer workout videos and you can see that. I mean, that's obvious, but he's always been that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Offensively, it's a bigger question mark because they have some really good leaders on offense. They're just not really Kyron Williams types and Dalen Hayes types and um, Alohi Gilman types. You know, I'm like Avery Davis is a I was leader. Gonna say but, what's what's Avery's style? Like yeah, like yeah. more calm. Like just, mm-hmm. hey, low K fellas, we got this. Let's go. He's a quarterback, right? He's 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 sure. a quarterback. Jared Patterson's a, a leader, but he's more of a hold accountable. You know, not the not the not the kind that that, that Brandon's referring to. Guys that I would look at as being that way, I have heard a little bit about Braden Lindsay kind of taking a little bit of that role. I guess but that. Uh, so you know, Blake Fisher has a little bit of that. Well, I was going to say Blake Fisher probably like twenty twenty three is that guy, right? Because right? he's yeah. one of those kids that like he he speaks and he's right. like a he's got kind of that that teddy bear thing to him, right? But like when he speaks, you listen type of thing. Mm-hmm. When Blake Fisher speaks, right? Like he's yep. that type of dude. How about Michael Mayer? I mean, I, I would assume he yes, would have that that's another one. To him. Now, yeah. and something I've heard, and I'll have I'll, I'll just throw this out there now, uh, and and kind of you know, little, little teaser, but one of the things I've heard about Michael Mayer this offseason, he's always been a good teammate. He's always mm-hmm. been a good teammate, but he's taken on more of a, a leadership, vocal leadership role, like going and finding younger guys and saying, Hey, you're going to work out with me today. You know what okay. I mean? We're going to go do this today. We're going to, you know, and, and he, not, not just tight ends either. Like could, young kids at other positions that he sees as having promise. Hey man, you're going to come work out with me today. And so he's taken on much more of an active role in that as well that is a vocal thing now is that the emotional rah-rah jumping when the lights come on that's a that was Kyron's personality vocal doesn't necessarily and I don't think that's what Brandon's asking it's just because Dalen and Vo- and Kyron were different personalities but they were both very they were Dalen was not afraid to grab the mic and say something right whether it's social activism whether it's with the team whether it's in a key moment Dalen is very confident in himself and what he has to say and you need that you need that on your football team and so. I am more confident we know who those guys are going to be on offense. Here's a guy that will be that way on offense, whether he starts or not, Drew Pine. Drew Pine will be a leader on this football team, whether he's the backup quarterback or the starting quarterback. That's just his personality. And he he showed that last year. He'll show that again this year. And I think that is where Drew can bring a lot of value because Tyler is not a naturally vocal kid. He's working on it, but honestly, I don't want him working on it right now. I want you working on reading the defense and getting the ball where it needs to go. But that's where a guy like Drew can bring a lot of value because the offense could come off the field and it could be Drew meeting there with something to say. Like you don't have to like if the players respect you and you put in the work and you've gone through the fire with them, they will listen to you if you're a quarterback, but not the guy, especially sure. if the starter respects you. And so if that relationship with Tyler and Drew is strong, then Drew can kind of carry some of that vocal leadership. Hey, guys, let's get our butts going and practice today. Like, we're, we're dragging butt right now. Let's get going. I don't care if it's your number two quarterback. If he's someone you respect, you will listen, right? And so that's a guy that I think people are, are maybe we're sleeping on a little bit, we, all of us, because he wasn't the first guy we talked about on offense. We went to a soft, a redshirt freshman offensive tackle first. But sure. as I think about it, I really think Drew is going to play a very important role as a vocal leader on this offense this year. There, there's no doubt. And there's I would no even doubt. say, I know you mentioned Bo Bauer for defense, but like I don't want to skate over special teams as well. Like, is is there any huddle that specialists are going to have where where like Bo Bauer's not nope. going to be the guy screaming? Nope. You know, like that's nope. going to be his thing. So. 
No, uh, Christopher Morgan did uh, one more because Christopher did give us a super chat to clarify. Thank you, Christopher. He goes, sorry, man. I meant um, our defensive players that would make other top offensive players play from other teams, rethink things after we shut down post slant routes and beat them to a point of contact reception. So he is talking about what you kind of thought, Ryan, which is, yes, I think Cam Hart's shown that. Cam Hart can do it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I would doubt. even say, I, I, again, I know there's like a stigma around Clarence Lewis, but like Clarence Lewis is kind of scrappy, man. Like I wouldn't be shocked if he's a guy that gets in your face a little bit, you know? Like, it, I don't know. If if they could if they could somehow get him back to the field, mm-hmm. then I would add him there. Look, that's I fair. think that's a really important part of this secondary conversation. I don't think Notre Dame is necessarily thinking about making Cam back to being a boundary guy. Mm-hmm. They liked how he played at the field last year. I I really feel like I if if we're to, if we hear in fall camp these two things happen, I'm gonna feel really good about the secondary. Mm-hmm. And the first one is if you get into a situation where Cam Hart has come out and has just said, "Hey, I am that dude." I am that dude that is going to go out and I'm just, I'm the stud. I'm the difference maker. I'm, I'm this, I'm the guy and put me in the boundary. And Clarence Lewis has really seized hold of that other job. I'm going to feel really good because I, I gave Clarence a four-star upside grade coming out of high school but he was not a four-star right away, which meant I thought Clarence would need time. He is going – that's why I'm a little bit more optimistic than I should be based on what we saw from him in big games last year. I mean, we can have – two things can be true. He can't be that guy last year. He can't play like he did last year and keep sure. a job or know he's going to be in trouble. But that doesn't mean that that's who he is and will always be. That's the difference. And I feel like two things, Clarence was young and he was out of position. If they can get him back to his main position, which I think best position, not main, best position, which I think is field corner, because Cam said, this is who I need to be. I need to be the boundary guy because I'm that one-on-one dude. I can take half the field away. Put me there. I think this secondary is going to be not just good, excellent. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a big – those are two big question marks because the thing about Clarence is – for all of his struggles, Clarence has never lacked confidence. Right. So to the question's point, if Clarence gets to the point where he is feeling comfortable and at a position that fits his skill set, then I think he can bring that in, in a similar – I'm not saying he's going to be as good. Mm-hmm. His game is similar to Julian Love's. And I always felt Julian Love would have been better as a field guy. Agree. It's just that's kind of the role, you know, you had you you felt to play him. So anyway, that's kind of where I'm at with that one. So thank you, Chris, for clarifying. And I'm sorry that we didn't get that the first time. Ryan did, actually. I didn't get that the first time. So Ryan had it figured out. So that is going to do it for today's show, everybody. Thank you all so, so much. We did have a super sticker from Fred Stadelbauer. Thank you very, very much for that. Very, very much. Appreciate y'all very much. Hey, look, sign up for the message board. It's $4.99 a month. It's only $49.99 for a year. Great value. Uh, you're going to really love what we're doing. Got a lot of – we had some good intel this week on those big commits. You're going to want to check that out. I'm hoping to have a really good team piece here at the end of the week. 
and uh, some other perks that come along with being a board member as well. So check those out as well. So uh, hit that like button, everybody. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell so you can get updated. Uh, hit that share button. And as always, thank you all so much for being a part of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.